All right. Good morning. And uh, what a great morning to be worshiping the Lord and focusing on his birth. So this morning we're going to continue along on the theme of Advent. And this week we're focusing on peace and specifically the question, where is it? Where is the peace? Would you bow with me once more? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time of year where we focus on your birth, your coming into this world through a baby. And Lord, as we just saw in the video, there are so many details, so many specific things that needed to happen in order for all of the prophecies to be fulfilled just perfectly. And Lord, even through the scripture reading, we see how Isaiah, some 700 years before your birth, gave such specific details And yet each one of them, and many other prophets as well, came about exactly as it was foretold. It's incredible of how you pulled this all together, and yet you did. And so this morning, Lord, as we look again at this story, I pray that by your spirit, the the details would come alive, as well as the intent behind why you came, and that you came for each one of us. So bless your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I just said, in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, the prophet speaking of the coming Messiah over 700 years before his birth said, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be No end. Now, in the last descriptive title given of the coming Messiah, Jesus is described by the prophet as the Prince of Peace. In other words, wherever Jesus reigns, peace rules. Wherever Jesus reigns, peace rules. And just as Isaiah had prophesied some 700 years later, as we read in our scripture reading in Luke, A child was born, a son given, and high above the hills of Bethlehem, the angels proclaimed on the night of his birth, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. But still, we wonder, 700 years before Isaiah prophesied a prince of peace, the angels on the night of his birth proclaimed peace on earth, but then we ask ourselves, is this really possible? Peace, that is. Is peace on earth possible? Or is it just a pipe dream that we still cling to around the Christmas season? Because we have to look around our world and even our own lives and ask a very pointed question. Where is the peace? Where is it? Even on the night of his birth, shortly thereafter, the so-called Prince of Peace came to this earth. It was proclaimed, but very soon after, King Herod in an attempt to kill him, had all the baby boys ages two and under in the entire town and region of Bethlehem murdered. So where was the peace then? Much later on, even the location of Jesus' birth has been fought over because of, get this, decorations. This is one of the craziest stories of history. If it wasn't true, you wouldn't believe it. But it goes like this. For many years, a large silver star adorned the top of the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem, which sits over the the site where it is believed that Jesus was born. And so one day, back in the 1800s, the Roman Catholic Church, which shares a part of that church, 
with the Greek Orthodox Church, the Church of the Nativity. They, they had split ownership of it. Well, the Catholic Church decided that they were going to take down the silver star and replace it with a different star of their own making. But now the Greek Orthodox Church, they didn't like that so much, so they refused to let the Catholic Church do that. And so now the political ties come in, because you see the Greek Orthodox Church was supported by Russia, and the Roman Catholic Church was supported by France. However, it was the Ottoman Empire who actually ruled over Palestine of that day. So when the Ottoman Turks sided with France over Russia, Russia then declared war on the Ottoman Turks. Immediately, France and England allied themselves with the Ottoman Turks and ended up fighting what became known as the Crimean War. The Crimean War lasted from 1853 to 1856. It claimed over half a million casualties and untold millions in human suffering, all because of a decoration. At the end of the war, the star came down. Crazy, isn't it? Even right up until modern times, Bethlehem has experienced very little peace. One of my enduring memories from our trip to Israel back in 2015 was when we crossed over from Jerusalem into Bethlehem. Jerusalem has a a large wall, basically, around it, and it was built back in 2003 because there were so many suicide bombers coming over from Palestinian territory. So they built this massive wall with checkpoints and barbed wire and the whole bit. So we have to pass through this wall and through these checkpoints to get over into Bethlehem where the Prince of Peace was born, of course. And there painted on that wall, I'll never forget, we took a picture of it, I don't have it for you this morning, but on that, that wall was painted a white dove. White dove, of course, is symbolic of peace. However... The white dove is wearing a bulletproof vest, and painted on the bulletproof vest is crosshairs of a rifle. Someone's idea of irony. The dove of peace, bulletproof vest, and crosshairs on the chest. So again, I ask the question, where is the peace? Because ever since Adam and Eve being kicked out of the Garden of Eden, we've had anything but peace on earth. The harmonious relationship of husband and wife devolved into instant blame games and power struggles. Brotherly love became brotherly jealousy, which became murder as Cain killed his brother Abel. And ever since, conflict, whether great or small, has been the norm, and peace has been the woeful exception. Today, nothing has changed. We look around our world, and whether in Syria or Yemen or Sudan or other diverse places in the world, there is a state of almost constant war and bloodshed. Even on the streets, when we look around Canada, our own relatively peaceful cities, every city in our nation every year will record multiple murders in our own cities every year. On top of all of that, there are hundreds of thousands of babies that are aborted in our nation every single year. And so when we, when we take this all in, we wonder, where is the peace that the angels proclaimed at the birth of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago? Where is the peace? Because I'm looking for it, but I just can't see it. Henry Wordsworth Longfellow, one of the great poets of the 19th century, he was also struck with this question. And it happened for him during the dark, bloody days of the American Civil War. It was Christmas time, and he had just learned of his own son's death in battle. And in this dark time, 
He heard the bells on Christmas Day, and he penned this poem, entitled Christmas Bells. And it goes like this. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black accursed mouth the cannons thundered in the south, and with the sound the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Now the conclusion of this poem, which has been set to music that we often sing, it stirs this thought. If God is not dead, he's not asleep, he's not away on some distant journey, but if God is still very much alive and active in the world today, then he must have a different sort of peace process in mind than what I do. And then that leads me to this question of myself. How can I expect peace in the world if I don't have peace in my own heart? How can we expect peace in the world if we don't have peace within? In James chapter 4, verse 2, we read this about what happens within the heart of man. James 4, verse 2 says, You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. So here we see the root of war. It comes from the heart, from within. Then in Mark chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, Jesus says, For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. So conflict, murder, war, And everything that leads to them come from within our own hearts. And God knows that enacting physical peace on the earth before first enacting spiritual peace within our hearts would be folly. And it would be doomed to fail. You see, the heart is where peace must begin. And that can only happen when we are at peace with God. So the angel's triumphant proclamation of peace on earth was not that all bloodshed or wars would immediately cease, but that through Jesus, the wall of separation between us and God had been broken down. That though our sinful hearts were still hostile towards him, though they still had all the same evil thoughts and desires as before, God was now taking the initiative to make peace with us. Though we were at war with him, though we were his enemies, God said, I am going to make peace with you. And he extended an olive branch, if you will. He extended something that we could not extend towards heaven. He extended down towards us through his own son. And Jesus became God's peace offering for us. And Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 to 14 explains what Jesus accomplished for us when he came. Paul writes, We have no hope, and without God in the world... But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. And so you see, Jesus is our peace. He is our peace between us and God. Without him, there is no peace between us and God. Between us and God, we are still enemies of his. We are still hostile towards him, and our hearts can only come out with their evil thoughts and desires, which lead to all of the suffering that we have been seeing in the world for thousands and thousands of years. Jesus is our peace. He is the Prince of Peace, who must be welcome to sit upon the throne of our hearts. And remember, wherever Jesus reigns, peace rules. So what is reigning in your heart today? Who is reigning in your heart? Is there peace in your heart or is there conflict? Wherever Jesus reigns, peace rules. And this is the secret of where true peace must begin. Now if you are like me, and if you are honest with yourself, then you know that deep down inside of you something is broken. There's something inside of you that's just not quite right. Something's wrong. That despite your best intentions and efforts, something inside of you is in conflict. Something ugly inside of you is there that wants to rise up in envy, in resentment, in anger, in lust, in evil thoughts against others. It's in there. And you don't have to look very deep or very long to find it. I know it's in me. There's a brokenness. And this all stems from what the Bible calls sin. Sin is what has entered the heart because of disobedience and rebellion against God. It's what we're born in. And that's why we find these things rising up within us and manifesting themselves in very ugly ways around the world today. We're all a part of this. We all have this brokenness in our hearts apart from God. But then I also humbly submit something else to you this morning. That though we recognize that there's a brokenness, There is also something else alongside it, an even deeper desire within us, something that our hearts crave more than anything else. And I submit to you that what we crave more than anything else is peace. Perfect peace. No more conflict. No more striving all the time. No more frantic racing through life with our heads chopped off because just because we have to. Why? We don't know. We're just doing it. There's something inside of us that wants more. We want stillness. We want peace. We want rest, harmony, tranquility. All of these words to describe something our souls, our hearts crave. And why do we crave it? Because it's what God designed us for in the first place. God designed us to not be in conflict, to not be stressed all the time, to not be worried about war and violence. He created us for peace. He created us to be at peace, to be in harmony. It's what we were made for. An example of this deep desire for peace stems from one of the darkest, bloodiest chapters of human history in the trenches of World War I. On December 7, 1914, only five months into the war, the Pope suggested a temporary hiatus of the war to celebrate Christmas. He asked that the guns may fall silent at least upon the night that the angels sang. However, the warring countries refused to create any official ceasefire. 
But on Christmas Eve, many of the soldiers in the trenches decided to declare their own unofficial truce. And so starting on Christmas Eve, British troops could suddenly hear the Germans just across no man's land singing Christmas carols. And the spotters soon took note that the Germans had even decorated their trenches with primitive Christmas trees adorned with candles. And soon, as they heard the the carols wafting across no man's land, the British troops couldn't help themselves, and they began to join in with the singing of carols. And at certain points, the British soldiers even heard brass instruments joining the Germans in their joyous singing. Then at the first light of dawn on Christmas Day, 1914, some German soldiers emerged from their trenches waving white flags and approached the Allied lines across no man's land, calling out, Merry Christmas, in English. At first, the British soldiers feared it was a trick. But seeing the Germans were unarmed, they too decided they would climb out of their trenches, and they went out and met them in no man's land. They shook hands. They began to exchange little gifts with each other, buttons, cigarettes, plum puddings. And they began linking arms, singing carols and songs together. There was even a documented case of soldiers from opposing armies who remember only hours before had been actively trying to kill each other play a friendly game of soccer in no man's land. One of them, Captain Robert Patrick Miles, recalled in an edited letter that was published in a British newspaper in January 1915, said, We are having the most extraordinary Christmas Day imaginable. A sort of unarranged and quite unauthorized but perfectly understood and scrupulously observed truce exists between us and our friends in front. The thing started last night, a bitterly cold night, with white frost, Soon after dusk, when the Germans started shouting out, Merry Christmas, Englishmen, to us. Of course, our fellows shouted back, and presently large numbers of both sides had left their trenches unarmed and met in the debatable, shot-riddled no-man's land between our lines. Here the agreement, all on their own, came to be made that we would not fire at each other until after midnight tonight. The men were all fraternizing in the middle. And they were swapping cigarettes and lies in the most utmost of fellowship. And yes, not a single shot was fired all the night long. You see, the desire for peace is deeply embedded in the human heart. And perhaps especially within the hearts of soldiers. But as much as we may desire peace, as much as we long for peace, apart from God's intervention, we cannot attain it by our own efforts. For as beautiful as the Christmas truce of 1914 was, and as much as we hold it up as this beautiful picture of peace in the midst of chaos, in the words of another British soldier, Alfred Anderson, he writes, The silence ended early in the afternoon the next day, and the killing started again. It was a short peace in a terrible war. You see, the best we humans can achieve alone is a short peace. But God's word tells us, That with the coming of the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his rule of peace, there will be no end. My friends, this will not be a short peace. It will be a peace that endures forever. And this is what the baby in the manger is really all about. This is what Jesus came to bring to us. 
Peace between us and God, not a short peace, not a temporary peace, but eternal peace that begins in the wellspring of the heart. It springs up to eternal life, and it will endure on in the kingdom of God forever. The war between us and God is over, not because we have declared a ceasefire, but because God in his gracious mercy extended to us an olive branch and said, here is my peace offer. It is Jesus. Will you receive him? And in so doing, receive my peace. And it is a peace that begins at the very root of the problem, deep within each one of our hearts, and it works its way outwards. Colossians 3.15 states, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called. I love this. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called. The calling is another way of saying for which you were made for. You were designed for this. The the peace of Christ reigning, ruling in your heart. You were called to this. You were made for this. Let it reign. Let it reign in your life. Let it reign in your actions. Let it reign in the world as you influence it by the rule of the peace of Christ in your heart. Because remember... Wherever Jesus reigns, peace rules. So let me ask, is Jesus reigning in your heart today? If he is, then here are the heavenly resources that now belong to you, that ensure you the peace of Christ. Number one, the Prince of Peace grants us access to an inner peace that defies outward circumstances. In John 14, verse 27, at the Last Supper, Jesus had just told his disciples that one of them would betray him, that Peter would deny him, and that he would soon be leaving them. And the disciples are naturally troubled and perplexed and fearful in these circumstances, but Jesus says to them, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give it as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. You see, the world would offer us peace by making the bad circumstances go away. But Jesus gives us peace by strengthening our hearts in the bad circumstances, enabling us to overcome even the worst that this world can throw at us because he has given us his peace by his presence. And Jesus reinforces this later on in John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, I will humbly say at this point, I don't know exactly how all of this works. I just know from personal experience that it does. Jesus' promise is true. I don't know how he grants it, I just know that he does because I've experienced it. It's real. His inner presence provides a peace that defies our outer circumstances. Have you ever been in a spot where, where everything that's kind of chaotic around you and things are, are not going well, maybe things are going terribly, and yet so- somewhere in the midst of that someone said something to you like, how are you taking this so well? Have you ever had that happen? And you, and you can honestly say, I don't know. I really don't. And yet there's something there that the, the Lord whispers to you, it's me. I am with you. That's how you can handle these circumstances, and all the more when we rely and depend upon him. Jesus' presence provides an inner peace that defies our outer circumstances. So finally, how do we access this peace in a tangible way? Well, quite simply, in faith, 
We ask. We ask. So number two, the Prince of Peace guards our hearts and our minds when we ask. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 tells us, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, petition is asking, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what does this look like in real life? When I was able to officiate the marriage of my good friend Henry Wolf to his bride Ashley, right here on this platform, there was so much joy and happiness that accompanied the occasion. Weddings usually are times of celebration, and this was no exception. We were happy, we were joyful, but when two years later, Ashley and their two young children were killed instantly in a head-on collision with a semi-truck. I can tell you that the degree of joy that we experienced at that marriage ceremony, the degree of joy was multiplied exponentially many times over by sorrow. And the, the pit of sorrow was so deep and so dark that as a man, as a, as a husband, as a father, putting myself in Henry's shoes, I could not conceive of or even imagine a way that Henry would not be swallowed whole by this pit. And upon hearing the news, I immediately, I immediately feared for his life. And not knowing what else to pray, I simply prayed over and over again, Lord, save Henry. Lord, save Henry. That's all I could pray. I didn't know what else to pray. And you know what? Beyond my or anyone else's understanding, God did. He saved Henry. And when I talked with him about it later on, he said to me, you know, if someone had told me that this was going to happen... I'd have said that I'd be taking a gun and making a one-way trip into the woods. But you know what? That thought never once crossed my mind. Not once. And then in describing the month that followed the tragedy, he said to me, I don't know how, but it's like I was lifted up and carried along on a cloud of prayer. Again, my friends, I can't explain this. All I know is that it's real. All I know is that by prayer, Jesus literally, in a very real sense, guarded Henry's heart and mind with a peace that transcends all understanding in a very, very, very real way. And my friends, if he can do it in, in the darkest circumstance that I have ever seen or, or can even imagine as a husband, as a father, my friends, I just really want you to get this this morning. This is what I want you to take away today with you. Jesus' peace is not just some fancy spiritual notion that fails in your physical reality. It's not just a nice idea that we sing about, that, the, that we talk about. No, my friends. Jesus' peace is the only thing that works in the hardest realities of your life. It's the only thing. Because I cannot think of one other thing that could have saved Henry in that dark time. But Jesus did. So when every other promise for peace fails you, I submit to you today, friends, the Prince of Peace, he will never fail you, ever. So whatever may be troubling your heart or your mind today, 
whatever may be troubling you about the circumstances and the situation of our world today, whatever you may yet be facing in the future that's troubling you because it's unknown, let me just tell you, friends, encourage you, on the basis of God's word, just ask him. Ask the Prince of Peace to take your burdens, your anxious thoughts, your fears. Ask him to guard your heart and your mind with his rule of peace. And I know, I believe that the peace of Christ will reign in your heart and that his inner rule of peace will overrule the trouble of our world today. So I ask, where is the peace? It rules in our hearts. It rules in our hearts through faith. For wherever Jesus reigns, peace rules. And one day, perhaps very, very soon, Christ's physical rule of peace over this earth will arrive in all of its glory and splendor, and Isaiah's final prophecy will be fulfilled of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen. Father in heaven, upon your word, your word which cannot lie, your word which is the ultimate authority for all of life, We claim this by faith, that your rule of peace has arrived in the person of Jesus Christ, and that by faith in you, your rule of peace has arrived for each one of us and each one of our hearts. That, Lord Jesus, by faith, we invite you in. We submit ourselves to your lordship, your kingship over our lives, your authority, and that by your authority your reign of peace arrives in the inner man for each one of us, on the inside, and that you set our hearts at peace. And so, Lord, I pray that for each one here today who has received that rule of peace, I pray that your peace would reign. I pray that it would reign in every way, that it would work from the inside out, that it would work into their relationships, into whatever is troubling them, whatever circumstances. Lord, may your peace work from the inside out. And Father, I pray for anyone who's here today who recognizes that your rule of peace has not yet been brought into their inner hearts. Right now, by faith, I pray that you would help them to lay hold of it. It's as simple as saying yes to you, Lord, for you have done everything for us. You have extended the olive branch. All we have to do is receive your son. And that by faith, you will take up authority over our lives. You will take up residence in our hearts. And that where you reign, your peace will rule. Thank you for this promise, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that your peace will reign in my heart, in the heart of each one gathered here today, in the heart of each one who will listen to these words. And I pray, O Lord, that your peace will reign in the nation of Canada and, yes, around our world, as the angels declared, Lord, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. In Jesus' name, amen.